0: You are listening to DermCast.TV, the official online media resource for the Society of Dermatology PAs. Okay, it's showtime. Where are we? Greetings from Cleveland, home of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and the upcoming Republican National Convention. God help us all. If you have plans to travel north, do not include Cleveland during the month of July. It's going to be trial and tribulation. We'll report back afterwards, but greetings from Cleveland. We'll talk a little bit about that later. Okay, the topic for the next 40 minutes, give or take, vaccines, all you need to know, all you want to know, but specifically dermatologic, specifically dermatologic, but we'll expand it a little bit. I have absolutely no conflicts of interest, none whatsoever. Pharma has no interest in me, and I have no interest in pharma. It goes both ways. Okay, medications, wine, beer, and some others are often obviously medicinal, but not typically in the medical sense from the cupboard, et cetera. So this is just a cartoon to sort of add a little levity to the morning and to start us out. This could be a medicinal shot, but. We need another flu shot and we won't go any further. Okay, where's the rest of that slide? Oh, we're gonna go one by one? Okay, not the way I intended it, but that's okay. In the last century, there have been significant advances in public health. Number one, clearly leading the list, in my opinion, in the last 100 years is vaccination and all that has been done. I should have put this actually last, but the others, this is like the David Letterman top 10 list. Advances in motor vehicle safety, whether it's seat belts, anti-lock brakes, steering mechanisms, you know what I'm talking about. Cars are now safer, but the number of deaths on the annual basis is still about 30,000 plus. Safer workplaces, rules, regulations, guidelines, OSHA, etc., etc. Control of infectious diseases. Major advances in the control and prevention of infectious diseases in the last 100 years goes without saying. Death from stroke and coronary artery disease, clearly significant advances there. People live a little longer uh, operationally, meaning from surgery, aspirin, Plavix, etc. Safer, healthier food, perhaps less junk food, more fruits and vegetables, etc. Healthier moms and healthier kids, vaccinations, multivitamins, better prenatal care, screening processes, etc. Family planning. You can't have a family of eight or ten that easily, it costs, it's a tax on the health system, it's a tax on the family, psychologically, if nothing else. Fluoridation of drinking water, I will not mention what happened in Flint, Michigan. We know that, but fluorination of water is indeed a plus. And lastly, but perhaps just as importantly, it could be number one, recognition of smoking as a health hazard. Only about 20, 25% of the US population indulges. I find that hard to believe. They all seem like they surround me whenever I'm out and about. But clearly number one on the list, I could flip it, is vaccination, and that leads us into the following set of slides. Vaccination compared to other maladies, accidents, etc., cetera, clearly has its place in the health arena. If you look at the number of deaths on an annual basis. We talk about car accidents, 35 to 40,000, suicides and murders. I mean, they're up to the 10, 20 list, et cetera. But if you get vaccinated to the array of things that can be prevented, specifically flu, specifically influenza on that seasonal basis in the fall and the winter, you're going to protect yourself and the general population. There'll be probably 50 to 70,000 more people alive by Christmas on an annual basis if they simply got their vaccination. It's as pure and simple as that. The impact on morbidity and mortality, if you look at these tables here, these charts, these columns, The morbidity reduction approaches 100% with all of these vaccinations, except the one on the far right, and that's the pneumococcal vaccine. It just doesn't kick in because not that many people get it, so some people die each year, so the, the, the preventive capability of the pneumococcal vaccine isn't as good as the other vaccines. And we're talking about vaccines that you get as kids, as well as vaccines that you get as adults or even in the form of a booster when you're an adult. Okay, what is a vaccine? It's basically something, a tool, a protein, a toxin, an abbreviated pathogen, which is provided to you, usually via an injection, a needle, intramuscularly or subcutaneously. It's your medical seatbelt. That's my phrase. It prevents illness, it prevents the accident, and it's extremely cost-effective. It's cheap to do, it's cheap to administer, and the effect, the aftermath, is a real boom. Vaccines primarily protect us against infectious diseases, primarily. There are some vaccines that are actually used to treat disease, I'll get to that a little bit later. But they're mainly out there to prevent disease, primarily infectious disease. And by doing that, you save probably 50 to 70 to maybe 80,000 lives each year on a regular basis. That's this country, that's this country. The impact around the world is rather tremendous. Vaccines that are known, most of them are in the viral category. They prevent viral diseases. I've got two slides, and we can quickly summarize them. The number one, we all got it as kids, were MMR, measles, mumps, and rubella. Now it's often hooked up with varicella. It's called ProQuad, so it's MMRV. Polio, we didn't get that. It's pretty much a non-entity. It's in the same category category as smallpox but it's something to remember. It is still a problem in other parts of the world, but not so much in the States any longer. Hepatitis A and B affects probably four, five, six million people in this country a year, can be prevented with two vaccines, either separately or in combination. Flu vaccine goes without saying, each one of us in the room, if we're in the healthcare arena, whether you're in an office, a clinic, a hospital setting, Get your flu shot, you're not invincible. Every fall, summer, remember, hospitals push you to do it. I get it, hopefully you get it, but in the healthcare community, only about 60, 65% of us do. Some of us are skittish, squirmish, or just say, no, I don't need it, don't have the time for it, et cetera. Rotavirus is a notorious virus for producing diarrhea, primarily in kids, there's a decent vaccine for that, as well as for rabies. Now we get into some of the esoteric diseases, Japanese encephalitis, not just in Japan, but around the world, not much in the States. Yellow fever as well. Smallpox, pretty much a non-entity. There is a vaccine for it, but it's pretty much a disease that's gone, that's gone. Monkeypox, remember that a few years ago? I think it was 10, 15 years ago. The imported Gambian rats from Africa, et cetera, kept as pets, bingo, people got monkeypox. Fortunately, no one died. I don't think anybody died. Maybe if so, there were one or two deaths. It was in the single digits, but there's a vaccine for it. Varicella, the vaccine for chicken pox. 20 years old, 20 years available, works very well. Protective immunity lasts now 20, 30 years, very helpful. Zoster, available as well. I'll go through these individually. Uh, for anybody 50 years or older, if you're healthy, that's everybody in this room, you should get the shingles vaccine, the zoster vaccine, and HPV. Okay, most of us in this room are past our teenage years, right? Right. I'm not trying to date anyone. I don't mean socially. I just mean put you in a category. You got that? Come on, work with me. It's early in the day. It's Friday morning. We could all be somewhere else. I don't know where. Austin's kind of nice. I'll give you the weather report from Cleveland later. But human papillomavirus, virus. Over a hundred different viral pathogens there, capable of producing warts, papillomas, etc. HPV is very helpful to prevent venereal disease, meaning venereal warts, as well as cervical cancer. Okay, vaccines for bacteria. The numbers here aren't that great and aren't that encouraging. For children and adults, you've got mainly DPT. It carries different initials, but that's for diphtheria, tetanus, and um, pertussis. Not real concerns, our parents gave, it, brought us to the doc, we got it from the pediatrician, we were a kid, you get the booster later when you're an adult, you don't think about it and you stay healthy. The pneumococcal vaccine, good for any of us in the room as we get a little older, and that's going to happen to all of us, it hasn't happened yet, right, right, good, okay. But when you get older, you might wanna think about this, especially if you're immune compromised, past the age of about 65, give or take. And then there's the H influenza pneumonia vaccine, Probably more for those at risk in healthcare facilities, kids to a degree. And then young adults, adolescents, the vaccine for meningococcal disease, a problem on college campuses, daycare settings. So it's recommended for teenagers to the young adult area, meaning the teenager is 15, 16, 17 to maybe the mid-20s, give or take. The World Health Organization actually recommends the meningococcal vaccine until you're in your 50s. These vaccines are available, but not on a regular, routine basis. Number one is anthrax. We remember the scare, I hope, about anthrax. It happened about the same time as the 9-11 incident, anthrax being mailed to government offices in D.C. and New York. The source seemed to be Ames, uh, Iowa. Uh, Never quite knew who did it. People died of it, primarily the pulmonary form of it. There is a vaccine. So if you're working in a sketchy environment in the medical care arena, might be something to think about. I don't think anybody needs it today at this moment. And then other vaccines, not commonly recommended, hardly even mentioned, but they are available. Number one is Lyme disease. Believe it or not, there was a decent vaccine about 20 years ago. It's still available, but it's hardly used. It's hardly even mentioned. Cholera. Not a concern for dermatologists, but there are four decent vaccines. They work in those parts of the world where sanitation, water supply, not as good as they should be. And typhoid, two good vaccines predicated for those folks traveling to typhoid regions, not exactly Austin, not exactly Cleveland. Again, available, uncommon in use, uh, not used very often, occasionally recommended. Then we come to the other pathogens, fungi. There's nothing. Protozoa, nothing. Parasites, nothing. Those are probably three areas where we need work because those pathogens, those vectors, those agents are what are responsible for killing people in the third world. Africa, Southeast Asia. There's a lot of illness out there, mainly in that protozoal parasitic uh, arena that really deserve a a vaccine. And then vaccines for therapy, cancer primarily. There are three good ones. I'll cover two as we move along. The main derm vaccines are listed here, these four. I'll go through them one by one. Some are ancient history for all of us because we got them when we were kids, but some are current history for many of us because we're healthy young adults. Measles, mumps, and rubella who should get it. Well, if you're a parent, you know your kids should get it. If you're the adult now, you should be comfortable in the fact that your parents made sure you got the vaccines. They brought you to the pediatrician, etc. But MMR should be given at year 1 to roughly year 2, just after the kiddo hits his first birthday. Bring him to the pediatrician, he gets poked, bingo, he cries, you give him a lollipop, all is good. Second dose Three, four, five, six years later, there's usually the lag period, so when the kiddo is five, six, seven years old, he gets the second dose. Who else should get it? Susceptible adults who don't have any documentation of measles immunity. Well, most of us do, but measles still remains a problem around the world. It was pretty much a dead disease, good pun, good, good line there, in the States until recently. There are only about maybe 100 or 200 cases a year. Then it went up into the tens of thousands about 20 years ago, went down again, went up. It's occasionally in the news. It's only a year away, but we all remember the news reports about measles in Disneyland last January, right around the holiday season. And that accounted for the, the, the thrust of about 700 cases in the year 2015. In Europe, it's a real problem. 30, 40, 50,000 cases a year, and the four notorious countries are uh, France, Italy, Romania, and uh, the Netherlands. They're the, those countries account for about 90% of all measles outbreaks. So measles are still alive and well. It's primarily predicated on folks not being vaccinated. They either don't get it because they're not in school or they come from another country, an immigrant, a visitor, etc. cetera. The advantages are obvious. You get the vaccine, you're, you're preventing measles, mumps, rubella, and if you throw in varicella, you're preventing that as well. Varicella zoster. This is a vaccine that I never got. because I'm a little older than when it became available 20 years ago, but this is a disease that is now basically preventable. <clears throat> the vaccine has been available for about 20 years, give or take. It's a live attenuated vaccine from the ochre strain. It works. Its efficacy is high, it's close to 90%, prevents varicella, and if the kiddo breaks through and gets chickenpox, usually the severity isn't quite as bad. Decreases the incidence of the disease tremendously, probably by 80, 85, 90%, and clearly has decreased the morbidity and the mortality from that disease, which did kill a fair amount of kids before the vaccine became available. (coughs) It's been around now about 30 years, And the likelihood of getting varicella is very small, so the immunologic longevity of it is at least three decades. We're just not seeing it anymore, so that's good. And it can be combined with uh, varicella as well with MMR. Uh, The vaccine itself should be given roughly, again, age one, two is when it is usually given by a pediatrician, but it can be given anywhere from age one to about age 12, give or take. Here it's two doses, just like MMR, Two, two doses, one early on, another one you know, several years later. Sub-Q, well tolerated, no big deal. Very safe, very effective, very efficacious. Almost 100% protection in the first year, almost 90% protection after two years, and the protection value is up to about 80, 85% at eight years, 10 years, even longer. We just don't know how long the protective value is. I think it's in the decades. It's probably at least 20 years or 30. No real need for a booster for this. The only thing you'll probably need is the Zoster vaccine when you get older. So varicella Zoster, not truly a dermatologic concern, more of a pediatric concern, but varicella can still exist and there's a vaccine for it. Zoster. Zoster should be a thought for all of us in the room at some point in time. The likelihood of zoster for any one of us in our lifetime is about 5%. So if you look at this room of how many, 200 people, 300 people, you can do the math, 10 or 15 of us are going to get zoster whether we like it or not, no matter what we do. Whether we get the vaccine, whether we pray, whether we light a candle, whatever, you're going to get zoster, okay? And that likelihood goes up as you get older. It approaches about 30% when you hit 50. Our cellular immunity diminishes. So we're a little bit more likely to get zoster. And if you get zoster, the main thing to do is rest, analgesics, compress the area, and if you're in the first 72 hours, an antiviral, specifically valcyclovir or famcyclovir. This is from, the, from Jamaderm two years ago. This is what I would do for someone who walked into my clinic with zoster, uh, is give them valcyclovir one gram three times a day or a gram and a half twice a day coupled with analgesics, a heavy dose of rest, and I'd probably throw in gabapentin or pregabalin just to offset that higher likelihood of the post neuritis or neuralgia, which can ensue and actually occurs to a fair de- with a fair degree of regularity the older the patient. But we can hopefully prevent zoster, and that is through the zoster vaccine. The zoster vaccine, zostervax, the shingles vaccine, has been available now for the last 10 years. And it is now recommended for healthy adults aged 50 or more. Emphasis on healthy. If you've got a cancer, if you're on immunotherapy for any reason, prednisone, a biologic, et cetera, it's not for you. You've got to be a healthy adult. So for everybody in the room, that's all of us. But a healthy adult aged 50. Original studies were done age 60, and it works very well. It's a one-shot deal, subcutaneous dose. This is the same vaccine as varicella. It's just 14 times stronger, but it's basically the same vaccine as for varicella. In the age group when it was determined to be helpful and approved, age 60 or more, the efficacy was very good. It decreased the likelihood of shingles by about 50%, not bad, and if people broke through and got shingles, It decreased the likelihood of that post neuritis or neuralgia by about 65%. As the age has decreased to 50 degrees, uh, to 50 years of age, the efficacy is now even higher. It decreases the likelihood of shingles by about 60, 65, almost 70%. Not bad. The efficacy is good. The protective duration is probably about eight, nine years, give or take, so there may be a need for a booster. And we're right at the point now where people might need a booster because the vaccine's been out for about 10 years, give or take. (laughs) FDA approved. If you're at that age, if you're 51 or more, talk to your doc, get the vaccine. Uh, It is well worth it. Now, I said a few good things about it. It's safe. It's effective. It works. But there are problems, and the problems are really threefold. Number one is the availability of the vaccine. The vaccine, believe it or not, has been in short supply since day one. The company that makes it is Merck, Sharp, and Dome. I don't think they're exhibiting today, but if they are, (laughs) okay, there has been a a short supply. Docs, clinics, hospitals have been trying to get it. The company either can't keep up, production's slow, or they don't see the value to maintaining the production. I don't know, but it's not that readily available just if you want it, okay? That's point number one. Number two is the cost. When it became available, it cost about $300 Three to $500, and it wasn't uniformly covered. Uh, Medicare didn't cover it initially. Many third-party payers, insurance companies, didn't pay for it initially. They've come around. Some companies do pay for it. Medicare now does pay for it to a degree. Prices also come down, so if a patient needs to assume the cost, it's about $150, $200. It's money well spent, money well spent. Usually covered, but not always. And lastly, the docs, I can usually point at this at this point and say that's us in the room, but it's kind of all of us, we're all in that medical field. The docs haven't quite bought into the zoster vaccine. They forget about it, they don't think about it, they say, oh, it's not a problem, you're not gonna get it, the numbers are on your side. They don't advocate for it. They'll advocate for the flu shot, uh, the flu vaccination each year, the immunization for that, but they don't push for this. So there are three problems, the supply, The cost to a degree, you know, everyone's looking for the free lunch. Gee, it's not covered, doc, I don't want it. And number three, docs are not pushing for it enough. So is it worth it? Absolutely, it protects you against zoster. I mean, if you wanna deal with zoster for a while, that's fine. Pain, the rash, the disability, you're gonna be uncomfortable for a good week or two. Uh, So just keep that in mind. So in view of that, there's a new vaccine soon to be available, a new zoster vaccine. And this one's going to be bigger and better. It'll probably be better. This is a recombinant recombinant inactivated vaccine. So it's not a live vaccine. This can actually be given to ill folks, ill patients. Two good studies, over 15,000 patients, two doses, two months apart. And the efficacy was greater than 90%. Not bad much higher than Zostavax, much higher, and the, in, and the efficacy was even increased, greater than 70, 75, 80% in folks who were older, in folks who were age 70 or more, and in folks who were ill. So this probably won't replace Zostavax, but this will probably be available in the next two years, give or take. Safe, effective, and can be given to a wider audience, both healthy adults and the, quote, non-healthy adults. HPV vaccine, human papillomavirus. There are more than 100 different HPV types capable of producing warts, common warts, plantar warts, venereal warts, as well as producing papillomas in the mouth, the nose, (coughs) the GI tract, around the anus, down below, south of the border, etc. Okay, (coughs) there are now Three good HPV vaccines in no particular order, but we'll start at the top. There's the bivalent vaccine known as Sovarix. Uh, As quickly as I say it, you should quickly forget it. It just doesn't have the utility and the benefit of the next two. It's a good vaccine. It has an adjuvant, has some cross protection against other HPV types. It can be used. It is for women only, girls, teenagers, and young women not For guys. Then we have the other vaccine, which was developed about the same time, the quadrivalent vaccine, Gardasil, protective against venereal warts, uh, a little bit more of a bang for your buck, so to speak, because it covered four HPV types, and I'll get to those in a moment. And then just a little more than a year ago came Gardasil, I have to use the trade name, which is a nine valent. protective vaccine. It covers the same four HPV types that its parent Gardasil did, plus five more. Now, why is this important? Well, the HPV types that they protect against are HPV 6 and 11, which together account for more than 90% of all venereal warts. So by getting either one of those first two vaccines, I'm sorry, either either one of the second two vaccines, Gardasil, quadrivalent, or the 9-valent, You're protecting yourself, you're protecting the patient against the vast majority of venereal warts if he or she is sexually active. Bingo, that's a plus. Gardasil, both varieties, are also very protective against the two HPV types that produce cervical cancer, 16 and 18. With the initial Gardasil, there was a 70% protective value because 16 and 18 accounted for roughly 70% of all cervical cancer. With Gardasil 9, we now throw in five more types, and that increases the protective value to about 90%. And it's not just cervical cancer. It's vulvar cancer, vaginal cancer, and anal cancer. Think about that. With those two vaccines, basically the last one, you're protecting teenage girls, young women, against the two major types of warts that produce, the two major HPV types that produce venereal warts, And most of the HPV types that produce cervical, vaginal, vulvar, and anal cancer, not bad. They're good for the guys, too. These vaccines are indicated for guys as well, teenagers, young adults to about the age of 25 or 6. Varix though, is only for women. And since you only get coverage for two HPV types, forget about that one. Look at Gardasil 4 or 9. So here's Gardasil 9. This is just a separate slide. Protects against the original four types five more men and women three doses it's usually zero one or two months and six months you don't need to be that religious about the dosing schedule if it's at zero and then three or four months that's okay and if it's six or nine months even 12 months to protective value is pretty much the same so if you miss a visit to the doc etc no real problem none none whatsoever so they're recommended for men and women. The third line down, forget it, it, should be women only. You can forget that one. These are contraindicated in pregnancy, but should be strongly encouraged for men having sex with men, men primarily to offset the cancers, but specifically the venereal warts. So they're very safe. They are effective. 90% success rate, no problem whatsoever. They're gender neutral. We can recommend them to men, women, youngsters, teenagers, both sexes, etc. But, and this is the big but, many pediatricians haven't bought into this. Many families are aware of it and they don't encourage their teenagers to get the vaccine because there's a, pre- there's a constant thought seemingly that these vaccines are an invitation to sex. Oh, I'm gonna, you know, Johnny and Mary are getting the vaccine. Now they can go out and be sex, you know, sex involved and all, it's not the case. But when half the population is sexually active by about the age of 16, give or take, yeah, maybe not your kid, but it probably might be, who knows, you want to give them as much protection as you can in this arena, particularly the girls, the young women. The guys need protection too, don't misunderstand, I'm a guy, we need this kind of protection. So, Advocate this with the physicians you work with. Advocate this with the patients you work with and deal with, their kids, et cetera. There is a high degree of protection here. These are two very good, safe, effective vaccines that can protect individuals against these two conditions over the long term. Hepatitis B and hepatitis A really, they go without saying. If you haven't had the vaccines for hepatitis A and B, think about it. Especially if you're traveling or even more so just working in the healthcare arena, a good idea. Specifically for some patients, those with pre exposure, those who are on uh, dialysis or who receive frequent transfusions because of anemia, etc. Patients who are diabetic should get it, and occupational exposure. Well, that's kind of all of us. It's a good thing to do. Is it mandatory? Is it essential? No. But it's a damn good idea. So be open to the hepatitis A and hepatitis B vaccines. They're to your advantage. Hepatitis A, if given separately, it's two doses, several months apart, maybe a year or two, and hepatitis B is three doses over six months. Boom, boom, boom. They hurt a little bit, yes. uh, The protective value is pretty good. It's not great. It's about 50%. If you're in that higher percent, even better. But the duration, if it kicks in, you're good for two decades or more. Not bad at all. So something to think about. I'm going to just take a little pause here. The topic for the hour was vaccines. And we're all dermatologically oriented, right? Right? But I just wanted to take the opportunity to just spread this out a little bit further. So with your indulgence, that's what I'm doing. If you don't like it, the door is open in the back. You can take a break and come back for the next one. Come on, guys, ladies. (laughs) You know, we're just spreading the horizons a little bit. Are you with me in the front row? That's good. That's good. Oh, who's from Ohio? <laughs> one. I can't see with the bright lights. Anybody? Come on, raise your hand. I you mean, I only have one friend in the group. All right, but you're my friends-to-be. All right, that was, the, uh, that was the interlude. That was the break. Okay, here we go. Now we're going to get into some other vaccines that are important dermatologically. Maybe not that much in Ohio, Texas, or in the States, but around the world. And you know, it's a it's an interesting community, a global community, because based on air travel, et cetera, a patient in India could be in your clinic on Monday. We have, we have to remember it and, and put it into that kind of context. There are some vaccines for leprosy. There are probably about a good half a dozen, give or take. They work with varying degrees of efficacy, effectiveness, et cetera. Probably the best one out there is called Tawar's vaccine or the trade name is ImmuVac. It's primarily for folks who have close contact with leprosy patients. That could be doctors, nurses, family members, et cetera, or folks who live in an endemic area where leprosy is known to exist. So it's a decent vaccine for those folks. Leprosy exists. It is on the wane around the world, but in this country there are still hundreds of folks with it uh, who deal with it pretty much in a stable form, but it is still out there. There's really no cure. There's good medication for it for control. The advantages of this vaccine, it produces immodulation, both specifically and non-specifically, and it helps to clear the individual of the pathogen, the mycobacteria itself. Not bad. And it converts the skin test from being positive to negative. So if you have a negative skin test, that's good. It's like a negative skin test for TB. If you're positive, you're concerned. If it's negative, you're good to go. Duration, probably about five or six years, give or take something to remember. BCG is still available, it still is used, even in the States, much more so around the world. This is probably the closest way, or the best way we have of preventing tuberculosis. Who is it mainly for? It is mainly for kids. Children, not so much for adults. It works best in kids, young adults maybe, the teenage years at best. Those at risk, meaning, those who have contact with folks who have TB, where TB is a bit rampant, the Mediterranean, Africa, Southeast Asia. It works primarily against meningitis. It doesn't work at all against pulmonary TB, so keep that in mind. It's also a good idea for those at occupational risk. Folks like us, if we're dealing with leprosy, if you're working perhaps with doctors without borders, or you're going to get on the 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 charity ship and go to different foreign ports. You might be dealing with patients with leprosy, unbeknownst to you maybe, so it's not a bad idea. The advantages, it converts the tuberculin test from positive to negative, not bad. And if you've got bladder cancer, BCG is very helpful in that situation. Again, not that relevant here in the States unless you're at risk or if you're traveling abroad, but very helpful in other parts of the world, but primarily for kids. Young adults, give or take. In the USA, in, in the US and in, in, in the States, limited use, very selective use. You've got to pick and choose what patient gets it, what individual gets it. Healthcare workers, eh, you could take it either way. Have I ever gotten it? No, is it a bad idea? No, I just never have. Kids, not a bad idea if they have a negative TB test and they're around folks with tuberculosis. There's TB in the family. If there's a recent outbreak of TB, if if they're in an area uh, where there might be a pocket of cases, for example, that individual might benefit from BCG. Leprosy, I'll get to a little later. Cancer vaccine, there are three. Three that you should know about, but only two that you really need to know about. The first one, Provenge, is a cancer vaccine to treat metastatic prostate cancer. And the next two are two vaccines to treat metastatic melanoma, and I'll go through them one by one. The first one is something called GP100 peptide vaccine. Nice study over a period of 10 years that looked at its efficacy in treating patients with metastatic melanoma, and the vaccine was this peptide plus interleukin 2 versus interleukin by itself to see what the benefit of the vaccine was, and you can read it as well as I. The overall response of the vaccine coupled with interleukin 2 was about 16%. You say, gee, that's not a good number. Well, it's pretty good compared to 6% in just the interleukin group, and it's better than 0 if you have metastatic cancer. I'm being optimistic. Progression-free interval, a little more than two months versus a month and a half versus the interleukin group. Still, both numbers a little bit better than 0 months progression, Okay, okay. Overall survival, 17 months. Not a long time, more than a year, year and a half, give or take, versus about a year with just the interleukin 2. So there's potential here, there's hope here with this GP10 vaccine coupled with interleukin for patients who have metastatic cancer. This is a decent vaccine. It has some promise, not a tremendous amount. We'll have to see what happens. And the downside is about 15, 16 percent of them had an arrhythmia. Uh, who got the vaccine. There's another vaccine, simple name here is just TVEC. It's just easier to pronounce, you can see what I mean. You try to pronounce that. It's based on the herpes simplex one virus, and this vaccine is also indicated for patients who have metastatic non-resectable melanoma. The offshoot of this was a big study, over 400 patients with that condition. The durable, the long, the enduring response rate about the same as the previous GP10 vaccine, about 15 16% uh, versus the placebo group, basically, for people with established, pronounced disease. And the overall response rate was 26%. Again, we're talking about patients with cancer, metastatic disease, no long playing records. These are patients who are not going to do well, period, by definition, but the vaccine at least prolonged them to a degree. This is I think this is the vaccine that Jimmy Carter got when he had that diagnosis established a little more than a year ago. Median survival, two years, not bad versus a year and a half versus basically the placebo by itself. Again, like the GP10 vaccine, promising, juries out, tough disease to treat. I give the folks credit for at least trying to do something. There is a little bit of hope and promise here. Future vaccines in the dermatologic realm and some in the non-dermatologic realm, TB for sure. It'll probably be something with a prime boost approach, meaning prime the system and give it that way, or a molecular vaccine. Uh, Juries out here. Something will probably happen in the next 5, 10 years. More work to be done, etc. Malaria, very promising results, and the first ever vaccine for malaria just became available within the last year. Not bad. HIV-AIDS. Jeez, I mean, that condition has been around now for 35 years. The virus was identified in the early 80s. There's an HIV test soon thereafter, or vice versa, and still not much progress in a vaccine, except for one. So BCG, I mentioned before, primarily good for kids and young adults. Uh, It helps to offset the likelihood of TB meningitis and uh, miliary TB, but it doesn't do much for pulmonary TB, meaning TB in the lungs, obviously. And that's where you really want it to help. No protective value with BCG there. And then with the concordance of TB and HIV, TB is a cofactor almost with HIV. We have billions of folks affected. I'm probably exaggerating a bit, but lots of folks affected with those two conditions. So the efficacy, the benefit of a TB vaccine would be enormous coupled with the fact that the usual mode of exit, the usual reason for death in an HIV AIDS patient is still tuberculosis. It's not PCP. It's not HIV proper. It's a secondary infection, and the infection is tuberculosis. It accounts for approximately 20 25% of all HIV deaths. So that's something to keep in mind. We don't think of TB. We're healthy folks, et cetera, et cetera. But it exists and exists in strong concert with HIV disease. And if you look at HIV just by itself, 35 million people around the world, two million new cases a year, and two million deaths a year. We need a vaccine for TB, we need a vaccine for HIV. Regarding TB, there are at least 15 vaccines in the works right now, and another 20 plus that are being thought about, played with, postulated, etc. cetera. Most are offshoots or functions of the attenuated mycobacteria, MTB, or their subunit vaccine proteins, usually with a viral vector. The viral vectors are listed here. There's a pox virus vector, an adenovirus vector, and a vesicular stomatitis virus. Did you even know that existed? I wasn't sure that I did. It was a nice reminder. But hooked up with one of these viral vectors, that vaccine protein might work a little bit better. Clearly, work is being done on this and has been for the last 20 years or so. More work needs to be done. There is a vaccine for TB. It's predicated on mycobacterium vaccae, not mycobacterium tuberculosis. It's primarily for folks with latent TB or latent HIV. It has some protective benefit, not enormous. It's predicated on five pokes over the course of a year works fairly well in that patient who has TB and HIV. Protective value, maybe 30%, give or take. There was another study about four, five, six years ago, 2,000 patients uh, with this vaccine. The efficacy was about 40%. Not bad, not bad at all. So there is work out there. There's work being done on TB and HIV. This is the news. Not so much of the morning, but if we want to take it a little bit out of the dermatologic realm, in the sense of what is out there for the greater good, uh, for better health around the world, that's malaria. Vector is a mosquito. We know that. A lot of people die from this. I mean, probably 500,000, 600,000 deaths a year, several million cases. So people die from this, kids, adults, et cetera. Good work on this and the vaccine to remember is the uh, RTS, comma, S vaccine. It's a recombinant uh, vaccine based on the sporozoite protein plus the hepatitis B surface antigen as a kind of a hook on the, um, the antigen. That combination is basically the vaccine. The work on this was based on phase three studies, recently published, for this reason, blessed by the World Health Organization, just last year, almost 20,000 kids, 10 centers, secondary centers, meaning uh, the, the developing world, Southeast Asia, Africa, etc. cetera. Four doses, two, two groups. One group got it within the first year, and the, next, and the other group got it after a year or so out. Four doses on a monthly basis for the first three, and then the last one several months later, a year and a half later. Efficacy, approximating 30% in kids, little less if they only got three doses, if they forgot about the fourth dose, but the efficacy was about 40% if they got all four doses, so not bad. In areas of the world where this is endemic, it is like the common cold. Malaria is very much alive and well in other parts of the world, not so much the states, a little bit in South America and Central America, but primarily across the Atlantic. A damn good advance, excuse me while you putting it, but I'm just trying to emphasize it. This is a significant advance in medical health around the world. So the trade name is, I don't know, they could have done better than this, Musquirex. But it's Musquirex because of the mosquito, uh, but this is the first ever, malaria vaccine. And it came to fruition after combined work with three big groups, the US Department of Defense, the Gates Foundation, and, wait, there was one other one, the World Health Organization probably, but it was, oh, the company, I think it's Merck Sharp Dome. Merck Sharp Dome, uh, the Gates Foundation, and uh, the Department of Defense was behind this. Not bad. Look at the money that was spent, more than a half a billion dollars over the last 10, 15 years, but finally something out there. Is this the magic bullet? Is this going to be the vaccine for malaria? No, because the protection needs to be higher than simply 40%, give or take. But with the number of cases over 200 million a year, half a million deaths a year, this is a big advance. The definitive vaccine, besides just the sporozite, needs to encompass some other antigens, the ones that are in the liver, the, uh, the liver stage antigens. You need to incorporate the merozoite antigen as well. <clears throat> more needs to go into this, not just the sporozoite. I know that's being very technical, it's being very medical, but more needs to go into this. But this is a big step in the right direction. So if you head overseas, if you're heading to a malaria area, you might want to change your destination. Uh, You might want to think about getting the vaccine before you go. Additional needs, additional need for vaccines, protozoal, metazoal, parasitic vaccines. I alluded to those earlier. More work needs to be done. We need more of those. HIV vaccine, we thought we were getting something with Merck and its step trial vaccine. It fell by the wayside about five years ago and just hasn't bounced back. Probably the prime boost approach for vaccine, the virologists know what that's about, and the envelope protein-based vaccine will help a lot for this. The likely answer, though, for an HIV vaccine is indeed a T-cell-based product, probably antibody-based vaccine. The best thing available at the moment is Sanofi Pasture approach. This is a prime boost approach to it. You can read as a canary pox vector vaccine. I have no idea what that is. None whatsoever, but that's the component, coupled with a booster for the HIV status, uh, to help the HIV status. Not much in the last 30 years. This is not very fruitful. It's not very promising. There was one good study in Thailand a few years ago, 15 plus thousand patients. Good trial with the Sanofi Pasteur vaccine, 30% efficacy, but it didn't budge the viral load. It didn't touch it. So people had some protection, but the virus was still alive and well. I don't know. Go figure. Um, Other phases, phase one, two studies are available. I won't comment about that. Not important. But remember, 2 million new cases a year, 50,000 new cases in the states per year, 2 million deaths around the world each year, and about 35 million people still living with AIDS, uh, HIV, around the world. Hurdles issues regarding vaccines. These are the problems. These are the the bumps in the road. We need more combo vaccines, Vaccines combined with other antigens, much like MMR, MMRV, et cetera, things like that. uh, They need to be combined, perhaps with a little bit of a boost, so to speak, will hopefully produce a better vaccine. We need to think about vaccines that aren't predicated on a needle. Instead of poking the deltoid or poking in the butt or doing it subcutaneously, some folks, not just kids, have a fear of needles. We need to think about some kind of transdermal delivery, a cream, an ointment, a laser, something like that. We need for better adjuvants, the tag-on components that make those uh, vaccines work a little bit better. particularly. A list of receptors is shown here, toll-like, we've all heard that through the years with the biologics, etc. You can read this as well as I. And regarding transdermal delivery, I mentioned lasers. That could be a nice way of delivering a vaccine, a laser. Laser hurts a little bit when it penetrates the skin, but it's at least tolerable. So these are the hurdles we need. There are some adjuvants available. One company makes two, the other four you can read yourself. Uh, Adjuvants to boost the vaccine efficacy, to boost the vaccine effectiveness. Then we have some non-scientific hurdles. These are the ones that don't make me smile or smirk, but these are the ones that just make all of us kind of cringe a little bit. Like, really? Are you serious? Do people really have these reservations? People still question the benefit of vaccines. Well, doc, do I really need it? I feel okay. I didn't get the flu last year. Yeah, you need it. You need it because I don't want you to get ill, so I get ill, and vice versa. If we're in the medical arena, we need it. And obviously here I'm emphasizing, or I'm thinking I'm emphasizing, the flu vaccine, the seasonal vaccine, pneumococcal vaccine for the ulsters. So there's still some hesitation, fear, reluctance about vaccines. Do I really need it? Discomfort, I can understand that with kids. I don't understand this with adults. You need it. You get it. Bear your arm. Do it. Be brave. I mean, come on. Surrender yourself for that moment and you'll be a little better off and you'll set a good example for the family members and other folks you live with and you're, work work with. And you're really helping your colleagues as well to a tremendous degree. Inconvenience, yeah, you got to go to the flu station. you got to make the appointment with the doc. Sometimes there's a cost element if it's not covered, like I mentioned with the Zoster vaccine. Side effects, few and far between. I'll mention some of them coming up, but few and far between. The myths. Oh, God help us with the myths. The myths. This does not produce autism. This does not produce uh, uh, musculosclerosis. sclerosis. This does not make you crazy. This. I mean, vaccines are out there, but there is an abundance of myths about vaccines. Well, I'm going to get ill. Something's going to happen. The roof's going to fall in. The sky's going to fall, et cetera, et cetera. There is an anti-vaccination movement. You're aware of it in the medical arena. It started in England about 10-15 years ago that vaccines are not good for you. Well, that's crazy. I mean absolutely crazy The question of need for vaccination. I've gone through that. We do need vaccines Kids in particular adults some of them and the dangers. I'll get to those There are some vaccines where it's true cause and effect you can have a problem the effects of vaccine There is a cause these are just eight where there are some side effects. There might be an untoward event Uh, an achiness, a site injection, a seizure occasionally, not enough to forestall using it. But these are eight known vaccines where there actually is cause and effect with some of the things you read about and have heard about. There are other vaccines, the four listed here, where there is some suggestion that what happened might be responsible from the vaccination. Varicella zoster, you can actually get disseminated varicella occasionally. MMR, Kids occasionally can get a febrile seizure, short-lived, no deaths, et cetera, occasionally encephalitis. Clearly not good if it happens to your kid or to your grandkid, but yes, it's not a perfect world. They're not completely safe, but they are safe in the broad scheme of things. Six vaccines can produce anaphylaxis. That's not good. That's not good, so you have to keep that in mind. But, you know, Tylenol and aspirin have side effects. We have to remember that. And then you can get injection reactions, syncope. Some folks even see a needle, and they fall to the floor. I mean, it, it, it happens. I'm not minimizing that, but it does happen. And then there's this plus-minus causal relation. We think. We don't know. We try to prove it. We can't. We haven't. And the story goes on. HPV and anaphylaxis doesn't happen. Transient arthralgias with MMR really doesn't happen. And then there's the, the trivalent vaccine available in Canada produces this oculorespiratory syndrome. I don't even know what that is, but it's primarily in Canada, not here. Stay in the States, it's not a problem. Am I going too fast? Good, okay, it's at, at the end, I got five minutes. I didn't even think I was gonna fill an hour for this one. There is no causal relationship, none whatsoever between these vaccines and what you occasionally hear. Autism, no. There's no vaccine, none that produces diabetes, none. Bell's palsy, no. Asthma exacerbation from flu vaccine, no. And airway disease from the flu vaccine, no. The list could be longer. I'm just giving you the highlights. These are the ones that are in the press, in the medical literature, in a medical alert. It's been reported in one kid and, you know, it doesn't happen. Vaccines are safe. Vaccines are safe. Uh, now, you should be aware that with every vaccine, there is a potential, potential for a side effect. And if you encounter something real or purportedly to be real, you have to report it to your supervisor, to the health agencies, etc. Number one, if you get someone's been vaccinated, they have anaphylaxis within a week, might be related. You got to think about that. If they develop encephalitis, encephalopathy, with or without seizures, mm, might be a link. You got to be aware of it. And any other sequelae, that's kind of an open door answer. But you know most folks don't have anything, but they come, Doc, I didn't do well. Doc, something happened. OK, have an open mind to it, report it. You know, It's like reporting a rash from a drug. Not seen it, I'm not aware of it, but it's certainly possible. Some vaccine-specific events. Tetanus can produce a neuritis. You can read these. Pertussis can produce an encephalitis within a week or so. MMR, occasionally an encephalitis, also within about two weeks, give or take. Rubella, German measles, um, the vaccine can produce an arthritis, usually about a month or two out, give or take. Uh, Measles, uh, thrombocytic purpura, um, occasionally happens within that first month. And the oral polio doesn't really have any relevance because it's not used much in the States at all. Vaccines, not just for kids. We think of vaccinations, immunization for kids. We're all kids at heart. But there are a lot of vaccines that apply to us as adults. Very safe, very effective, minor side effects. And there really aren't any true contraindications to vaccine, except a documented hypersensitivity reaction, true allergy maybe a neurologic disease that mitigates against the use. And by getting vaccinated, you're really offsetting probably 50,000-plus deaths a year. Again, most of them are in that influenza realm. So it's the flu shot we're talking about. Vaccination in general, go for it. Avoid it only if there are some true contraindications. Postpone it if the patient, uh, and patient really means it someone with illness, but if the individual has been ill significantly, uh, severely in the last week or so, just put it off for a while. But a modest illness, a mild illness, including diarrhea, the runs, you can still get poked and get the the vaccine. If you've been taking antibiotics for a while, it's okay. You can get it. Not enough to say, no, doc, I can't do it. Haven't been feeling well. Gee, I'm taking that antibiotic. I don't think I'm feeling well. They can get the vaccine. Vaccine recommendations, this will be the end. These are the vaccine recommendations, uh, maybe for half the room. Those folks, 50 or more. I qualify a little bit. I just had a birthday, whatever. So these are recommendations for adults. Plus, I figured it's going to be an adult audience. If you're under 50, still make note of it, but they don't particularly apply to you. And these are the eight. I've already covered a few of them, but going one by one. The influenza vaccine, the flu vaccine for adults, 50 years of age or more on an annual basis, and bless you. And you can extrapolate that a little further. If you're in your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, and you're in a healthcare arena, damn it, get the flu vaccine this fall. Get it this winter. Get it in February. It's never too late. Do it. The pneumococcal vaccine is really for the oldsters. 65 or more, 50 or more if there are risk factors heart disease, diabetes, leukemia, asthma, pulmonary disease, if they're ill. And obviously it's, it's also strongly recommended if you're underage, under 65, under 50, and you work in a healthcare arena. Not a bad idea. Honestly, I have gotten the pneumococcal vaccine, I think, once or twice because of where I work, but I didn't get it earlier in life. its I just never thought of it. Flu, I do think of. The flu vaccine, just to, just just to go backwards, the flu vaccine was only administered, accepted by about a third of adults 20, 30 years ago. We're now at that 65, 70% range. In the medical arena, it varies from institution to institution. But young adults at risk, that's us somewhat, in the medical arena, it's less than 50%. Keep that in mind. The pneumococcal vaccine, the numbers are much better than they were. 20, 30 years ago, we've gone from 15% up to about 65%, increased by a factor of five, give or take. Uh, but young adults at risk, people poor, less than 20% uh, use. MMR can be done for adults, especially if, uh, if their vaccination status is unknown, if they're immigrants and maybe didn't get it, if they moved to this country from a third world country, we just don't know. Not a bad idea for measles, mumps, and rubella. As far as the US population, higher efficacy if MMR is given before pregnancy for a woman, obviously a woman, before pregnancy. You're giving the kiddo as well as the mom protection against measles, mumps, and rubella. For pertussis, uh, tetanus, et cetera, recommended at a young age. Also for young adults, then with the booster thrown in periodically uh, every 10 years, give or take. But you definitely need a booster if you make it to 65 predicate on the fact that you had it when you were younger, you get it later. And efficacy here, higher during pregnancy. So for a young woman who's pregnant, getting the, um, the pertussis, tetanus vaccine, a very good idea. And then if she becomes pregnant again, you do it again, because the protective efficacy is during pregnancy for the newborn. So if she has three pregnancies, that means she's going. she should get the... Uh, Uh, Pertussis, tetanus vaccine with each pregnancy. Overall susceptibility to tetanus, meaning the likelihood of no protection, is about more than 70% as you get older, hence the need for the booster. With diphtheria, it's about 50%, give or take. Booster, not a bad idea, but the overall protective benefit for adults is about 50-50, it's about 50%. The meningitis vaccine, these are mainly recommendations from the World Health Organization for adults aged 50 or more if never vaccinated or if they're at risk you can read the others if they're less than 50 and no vaccination the conjugated vaccine is recommended if they're greater than age 50 and need the vaccine it's the polysaccharide vaccine and that confers some protection and immunity for up to about five years in the states via the cdc the meningitis vaccine is recommended only for Teenagers, young adults, the college age students, somewhere between the age of about 16 and 25, give or take. Three doses, uh, good protective value. So it really doesn't apply in the States to folks 50 or more. But I include the first three lines because that's the World Health Organization suggestion. The CDC is what we go by here. Okay, this was lifted from a journal, USA Today. Vaccines are for grown ups. This is simply a summary table of things I've mentioned. It gives you kind of a a quick look at what vaccines apply to the general population, regardless of age, what applies to most of us in this, excuse me, in this room. I'll let that linger. You can see what you might have gotten, what you should get, what you'll think about getting next week when you return home. But vaccines, vaccinations are not just for kids. They're not just for sissies, they're for all of us, and we have to have an open mind to it. So I know this is a dermatologic meeting, and I did cover some of the derm vaccines, but I wanted to just spread it out a little bit more to tell you what's new in the vaccine arena around the world, what has potential benefit for many other diseases, some with dermatologic manifestations, but many without, but things that can affect us in a healthcare arena, or in a travel arena, if we take a trip to Uganda or wherever. It's just something to put it into perspective. That is the end. I thank you for your time and attention. And if you cannot read the bottom, what do you say we all get out of here and go someplace less contagious? Probably a damn good idea. And it's probably time for a break. And I don't know what comes next. I was told to just stand here, look handsome, and something would happen. I'm done. This has been a presentation of Dermcast.tv, the official online media resource for the Society of Dermatology PAs.